Hello and welcome to Panorama. My name is Sarah Robertson and I'm here with my co-host Dan Torres. Hey Dan. Hey Sarah, how are you? I'm doing great because we have some really bright minds on the show today. We are talking with some members of the Greenfield People's Budget and Franklin County Continuing the Political Revolution about a new blueprint that came out. They call it the Progressive Blueprint for Greenfield. And it's a document that kind of outlines what we want to see happen in the future for this city as it kind of goes through a period of change and some consequential elections coming up in the near future. And we are joined here today with John McGee from the People's Budget and Doug Selwyn and David Cohen from Franklin County Continuing the Political Revolution. Welcome, guys. Um, and I think I'd like to toss our first question to John from People's Budget. You were a big part of drafting the Progressive Blueprint for Greenfields. And I think I would like to have you just tell us a bit about um, some of the goals for this document and um, in increasing civic participation in the city of Greenfield. Absolutely. So I was a part of the sort of small group between People's Budget and FCCPR that convened the folks who contributed to the platform. But I think it's important to say that we were not the only ones who sort of, you know, pulled these ideas out of our head. I mean, we got input from dozens of people and at least a handful of different groups of folks who have been active in the city of Greenfield and in the county on a range of issues. And I think that's a big source of the strength is that this platform draws on the folks who have been most engaged in, in these particular issues. And that really is, is what a lot of what we're going for with the platform is that the media landscape in Greenfield is not very strong, right? The recorder kind of limps along in its coverage of local politics and it's very hard to know what has happened in the past and you know even when it comes to to like city council you know there's very little context for the discussion that's going on it's hard to just follow what the debate is so we wanted to build on and and boost those folks who have been most engaged in all these different problems and in addressing like you know what did the people of greenfield want to to fix the problems that we know we have and and boost that message, get it out there into the into the community, have people like discuss it, and also then serve as sort of some institutional memory and also charting a course for the future so that the people who we elect this year and beyond can can know what we want and can understand what's been tried before and what has not worked and what has, has worked in other places, that kind of thing. And what are some of the problems that the city of Greenfield is facing today? I'll um, hand this off to David, I think. Okay. I think Greenfield for quite some time has had many of the same problems that a lot of small towns, small cities in the Northeast have. Once it was sort of a rural industrial town. It was part of the belt, the old manufacturing belt coming down along the Connecticut River. Uh, so there were a lot of big factories in the Greenfield area. They were unionized, paying high wages. And then in the 1980s, early 90s, the big corporations that owned them disinvested and shut down the factories, which caused a real crisis in the standard of living in the whole area. And Greenfield, you know, since that time has really been trying to figure out how to survive. Uh, you know, you had some people who wanted, thought that uh, tourism would be the, the saving grace for Greenfield. 
forgetting that tourism doesn't pay living wages for any of the workers who work in motels or you know, even restaurants. So Greenfield has gone through that crisis. During that same time, there were people who, what I think, launched an attack on democracy. Greenfield used to have a select board that was elected and a larger town council, 27 or more people in the town council, and hired a town manager. And then the movement became saying, well, that's inefficient. That's what's you know driving the lack of business, new business coming into Greenfield. What we need is a mayor who can make all the decisions. And so they pushed through this idea that Greenfield should become a city. It's 17,000 people, but it became a city and then switch to a strong mayor system where the mayor gets to decide and the town council is shrunk in size, all of which has lessened democracy in the city. Uh, there's fewer people involved in the town government. And what we've seen with every mayor that's come along is decisions that used to be made out in the public, that the select board would make decisions out in the open, now get made behind closed doors. So even the very first mayor who came into Greenfield, she tried to break all the unions in town and you know, ran up huge legal bills. Uh, when they were found guilty, she was found guilty of violating labor law and had to pay lots of money and fines and back wages. I mean, these sort of scandals have continued, but it's that system of the mayor gets to make all the decisions behind closed doors. So I think, you know, people will talk about what's happened under the recent mayor, but we're, we're suffering from that, that lack of transparency and a lack of faith in that regular people could run government too. I just want to add one thing that that sort of like beyond the sort of question of democracy, there's also just like basic incompetence, you know, low capacity in, in city offices and it's in the city administration and also you know kind of like petty corruption i think that's a lot of what people see when they see sort of certain bad decisions being made is that oh this was done on behalf of some friend of the mayor's or at least someone from their social circle that kind of thing so there's a there's a whole mix of things so it's it's funny because there's all the small town problems of like oh we're just we don't have much capacity and you know we, uh, local government is not a big draw for talent, right? In addition to all the structural issues, you know, and all of the sort of the hype around all these policy proposals that are supposedly going to save us, but which, of course, like regular folks know, are really just kind of money-making schemes for political parties and their patrons. This is Dan. Can you lay out that argument for those who haven't been following what's going on in, in Greenfield lay out what the issues are specifically what has gone on that you feel urgently needs to be addressed yeah let's talk about the juicy bits so there's a number of things kind of swarming around the mayor's office one of course that comes to mind the lunt facility so the lunt silversmith facility is a property that was acquired by the city through tax taking and used to be a, a mill uh, that made silverware in greenfield and it's in a residential neighborhood and like many old mills, it has been discovered to have lots of industrial contamination. I think trichloroethylene, TCE, is the biggest concern, but uh, also the issue is that there hasn't been very rigorous testing of the site. So basically, the mayor has wanted to sell this building to a developer 
without doing any assessment of, of how that site is impacting the health of the surrounding neighborhood and the rest of the town or engaging in any sort of good faith effort to do a cleanup. She actually was actively undermining the neighborhood group that was trying to get a better site assessment. And then of course the irony of all of this is that eventually that neighborhood group appeals to the state DEP. The DEP does an audit. They find all these problems with the way that the situation had been handled. The DEP also awarded a grant to the neighborhood group so that they could hire their own investigator. And now that investigator is coming forward and saying like, oh, these are actually the things that we don't know. And but we do know that that this is this TCE is getting into the neighborhood in these ways and no mitigation efforts have been made. The irony of this is that, you know, when it comes up in public meetings and, you know, the mayor is ostensibly like loses. Right. I mean, the DEP comes in and says, no, you're not doing this right. The mayor's response is, I, I am so grateful. I'm so glad I've been pushing for this all along. <laughs> and and I'm really glad that we're finally getting to the bottom of this. And it's like, actually, no, you weren't pushing for this all along. You were actively undermining the people who wanted transparency about uh, what hazards are here. So the Lunt facility is one example. Another one is the, the process for three LLCs that want to start an industrial scale pot grow, outdoor pot grow up on Country Club Road. The initial opposition to this was, you know, kind of classic NIMBYism, but also like what became pretty clear from sort of the way that the discussion went was that these developers who were trying to establish this industrial grow, they had circumvented, probably with the help of the mayor's office, certain requirements from of sort of like public consultation. And also the fact that it's three LLCs is significant. So, so this is a pretty big property, a pretty big farm that used to grow pumpkins and hay and stuff. And there's a limit. I think it's tier 11 is the largest pot grow that you can grow outside in the state of Massachusetts. Uh, it's a certain number of acres and I don't remember how much it is. So each one of these LLCs is applying to have a farm that is the maximum allowable size. And oh, it just so happens that all three LLCs have the same corporate officers, the same address, the same lawyers. The former mayor is involved in the deal. The former mayor's daughter, I believe, is also involved in the deal. And so who is surprised that they were able to, to sort of do this and skirt the process? Anyway, it's it's in court now, but that's just another one of the scandals. But, yeah, both, both of these feel a little bit like remnants of old Greenfield kind of like struggling to be reborn in a way, <laughs> like being an old mill town and having just like an entrenched kind of like political class in the city. I'm wondering if you think that is an accurate descriptor of some of the problems that we're facing. The old Greenfield part that I would name is real estate. That's the common thread with a lot of scandals is that it's real estate brokers. I mean, the former mayor is a real estate agent himself. Um, and a lot of these deals are basically, yeah, reselling old properties for new profitable uses. And the question is, who's going to profit off of that exchange? Do you agree with that assessment, David? The yeah, I think that that's some of it. I mean, like you take Lunt. So, you know, Lunt is a factory who was driven into bankruptcy by its owner. It was the son who took over. After he drives into bankruptcy, the previous mayor of Greenfield appoints him to head up the public TV, the public internet service. 
which is like, okay, so you just ruined one business. Now you're rewarding this person who put a 180-year-old business out of business and giving them this big job. I mean, that, that's the sort of thing that raises the eyebrows. On the marijuana farm, I mean, it was, it was a real estate go, deal going on in the background. But it's also for the folks who live there, what they were faced with was, what, 10, 12 acres, which would now be fenced in with huge barbed wire fences and floodlights on it 24 hours a day. So, I mean, people were used to farming, they're used for the smell of farming and everything like that. But all of a sudden now it's like a big prison yard with floodlights on and big barbed wire fences and hardly a conducive atmosphere to live in, to live across the street from that. And then you have all, like John says, the real estate deals going on in the background. So it's, I mean, I think every town always talks about the old town, right? The old power structure. But it's, that's part of it, I think. If I can jump in, I would add that it's also coming at a time when most of Western Massachusetts is starving to death, while there's an incredible amount of money in the eastern part of the state that doesn't reach us. And so some of the push, you know, there's a, a huge fight over whether we should have a, a new library or not. And there's the argument of, well, you know, we got to pay for it and we're taxed, uh, you know, at our upper limit, which goes to what John was talking about earlier, that the residents are taxed high while the big businesses are, are taxed low, but it's also what are you going to do to attract people to the town to revitalize it? You have to invest in it and investing in a town costs a lot of money up front and there's not a lot of money. And so there's a big scramble that goes on and the sort of old versus new is some, if you want to attract new people, you have to let them in if you actually want them to be here and stay. And part of what happens with the establishment, the, the established old guys and gals is they're making the decisions and, and a lot of people are shut out. So again, one of the agendas of the, of the platform is to reach out to people who are actually affected by decisions in town and saying, what do you think? This is about our lives. How can we involve you in the process so it isn't simply the behind the curtain deals that are being pushed, whether it's the mayor or anyone else, so that it becomes our town and not their town that we're living in. And investing in the future of Greenfield is one of the main goals of the Progressive Blueprint, which you guys are putting out. And a big part of that is investing in our children and our schools. And I know recently there's been some struggles between the school committee and the city over the school budget and other conflicts that have come from that. So I wanted to ask you, Doug, about mm -hmm. um, where the schools stand today and what some of those problems have been um, in the recent past. Um, that's one of those, how long you got. Um, <laughs> there, there's a lot to talk about. One of the things is that virtually all of the school districts in Western Mass, or many of them are, are woefully underfunded by the state. And um, that's a very complicated conversation to have, but the, the fact remains there isn't enough money, which puts enormous strain on the city, on the on the local budgets, yeah. because the cities are responsible for coming up with with a share of the money that goes into the schools. It'll, and, it'll interject yes. here for one second and just say, if you are interested in hearing a lot more about this topic, we had a t another Panorama episode with Doug and Jesus Leva about the school system in Greenfield, and I would encourage anyone who wants to hear more to listen to that. So please continue, Doug. <laughs> okay, thanks. So, um, so one of the strains on on the city budget is that there isn't enough money generated locally to meet all of the needs of, that a town has, 
and it ends up hitting one department against another because there's just a, a certain amount of dollars available. And uh, the most recent problem that became public was that the school committee passed a budget that was recommended by the superintendent that would come close to meeting the required expenses of the school district. They passed a budget for, for many years, school districts don't come close to putting out an actual budget that would actually meet the cost of educating the kids because they know there's no chance of passing it. Well, the superintendent came closer and said, here's the money we need. And the mayor cut a million and a half dollars from that budget saying, we can't afford to do that. And the city council, led by the Ways and Means Committee, actually went and found money that had been squirreled away in various pockets of the budget that the mayor had created through a number of devious means in some cases and other cases simply decisions about what's important and what isn't and restored almost all of that money uh, the city council did the mayor then cut three hundred and sixty thousand dollars of the million point one eight that the city council had restored and said well you don't need that anymore because the city council found this other money so it has led once again to the district being underfunded one of the things that happens when the district is underfunded is that it can't offer the services that many of the students need, particularly students with special needs. And so the city then becomes responsible for funding children with special needs who go to other places for education. They end up being on the hook for some of that money, number one. And number two, they get less money from the state because they have fewer students, which leads to a downward cycle that the district has been in for 20 years financially. Around 2000, the equation between how much money the state provided and what it really cost to educate students, um, it was fairly close. The, the state came close to, to paying for what it actually cost. Starting with 2000, that gap has become huge. And so as a result, there's not enough money. There's not enough money means students leave students leave, which means the district can't offer services, which means faculty are laid off and it's it's just a downward cycle and a mess. And then you couple that with a lack of housing and it becomes, again, a very, very um, deep sinkhole that we have climbed in. And if we're going to climb out of it, we have to really change the way we do things. Right. When it comes to education and when it comes to housing, which I would also really love to ask you guys about and is also a topic addressed in the Progressive Blueprint for Greenfield. So if we want to tackle the housing crisis in this city. How do we propose we do that in this blueprint? David, tell us a little bit about that. Well, I, I think we, when we look at housing, you have to look at all of Franklin County. Uh, and the studies have shown consistently over a number of years that there's a real lack of housing that working class folks can afford. And this has really been exacerbated in the last 20 years. And as a result of housing prices going up. People who are working can't afford a decent house anymore because the cost of housing with all the speculation has gone up. Those folks are buying cheaper housing that they might not have in the past, which drives poorer folks out of housing completely. And so uh, the Franklin County Council of Regional Governments you know, did a study some years ago saying in all of Franklin County, there was a need for like 2,500 uh, new houses to be built, affordable houses. So we think, you know, Greenfield, the past has had somewhat of a tendency to go it alone on their housing issues and figure they're the biggest city in Franklin County. 
So we'll tackle this, forget about everyone else. We think one, there has to be a regional approach to providing housing in the area. Greenfield though, while it has public housing or subsidized housing that it's worked on over the years, it really has to focus more on creating affordable housing that working class folks could buy. There are some people who are working on a community land trust approach to housing, which would mean the community land trust would own the land. Therefore, when you build and sell a house, it can be done cheaper because the land is held by the land trust in perpetuity and is that is subtracted from the value of the property. So people are pushing that and also, but much more this regionalization that the towns and cities in Franklin County really have to work together, you know, looking for the areas where you could build affordable housing. And again, I think as, as Doug mentioned, there's a real problem. You know, the federal government has essentially cut off all funding for new housing. The only money they put out for housing is replacing public housing that's been torn down. So there's a real lack of, of federal money. And the state is starting to come up with a bit more money. But again, the problem we face is that when the state comes out with money, it goes to the populated areas in the eastern part of the state. You know, so they'll set up, we can afford to fund 10 different projects and that'll go to 10 different projects in Boston. And Western, Western Mass never even gets its foot in the door to, to receive those funds. So we, we feel also a role of like the town government, city government, Greenfield, is it has to be out there really advocating and you know working on the legislature to, to increase those funds. And the people's budget was a big part of pulling together this blueprint, this this document for the that kind of outlines the future of what we could see in Greenfield. And I wanted to ask you, John, about how the people's budget came to be and what some of the goals are for trying to get more people involved in their local government. So yeah, I'll just say one of the pieces that the people's budget brought into this platform for folks who have read the platform, it's right at the beginning, you know, it says uh, under democracy and participation, you know, consult and listen to residents. You know, we call on the city to establish avenues for the public to be collaboratively involved in policy and budget priorities and designing city services. You know, that's really like the basic framework of this platform, right? Is we want we want the regular folks who live in Greenfield to have a say in how we are governed, because currently we have very little say. That's been sort of the hobby horse of the people's budget from the beginning. That was the whole idea in 2020 when we came together. Uh, was sort of we wanted to look at the budget and where uh, see where the city was spending resources and think about whether it was really meeting our needs and really like try to reach out to the community and say like does this match your priorities like look at what we're doing like does this make sense to you and of course 2020 a lot of the motivation for that was was communities looking at their police departments and seeing like holy cow we spend a lot of money on policing you know, is it really serving us or is it actually like, you know, uh, causing harm to be just like endlessly growing police departments to be like always giving new responsibilities like from other departments and other services and other community functions to the police department. So, yeah, that's actually a whole set of things that are in the in the platform also is really reassessing policing. So one thing that People's Budget did way back in 2020 was we started looking at what calls were coming in to the police department. And I can say that Greenfield Police Department is no different from any other 
police department across the country, over 90% of the calls that come in have nothing to do with even like allegations of crime, allegations of even like violent crime. And again, this is like allegations, right? Because we're just talking about calls. It's like one less than 1%. I'm going to say it's like 0.6% of all calls and something like 6% is property crime allegations. Again, just allegations, right? So the whole idea for us was asking like, is it the best use of our resources to have the police department like in relationship advice? out of a cruiser on federal street like are you kidding me some of the stuff that was in the call log was just like you can't you can't make this up you know another one another favorite one was like somebody called the police because their black lives matter sign was defaced another one was their their pumpkins on their porch were were taken so anyway we're paying people top dollar to drive around with with guns and tasers to uh, investigate pumpkins getting taken off of porches and i think a lot of people in town think that that's crazy one of the things that we have advocated for, especially because, you know, one of the acknowledged needs in town, right, is sort of like mental health support and behavioral health support. We have a bit of an addiction crisis right now, uh, which is really dangerous for folks who are using drugs. And we're responding primarily with police. And that's really just bonkers because, you know, we know that like a harm reduction framework really works uh, to get people into recovery and, and to keep people safe. So what we're proposing is, you know, what has worked very well in other places. In Eugene, Oregon, for example, they have a non-armed civilian emergency response program where it's people with lived experience and who's like a crisis counselor plus a paramedic who basically are on street patrol and able to respond to folks who are in need for a, a variety of sort of just basic civil issues. Yeah, and we're seeing like that I happen described. locally too. And uh, Amherst and Northampton, I think even Holyoke have all different versions of that. So you would like to see a similar model of like community policing happening in Greenfield? I guess what, what would you like that to look like? Yeah, I mean, well, the important thing is that the community should really have input on what is what it is right i mean like it shouldn't be us who are organized this platform who are you know like the few dozen of us who have been part of this you know saying what should be the policy for seventeen thousand people in town it should be a real open community process and like that's what makes programs strong and that's what makes them appropriate uh, what we currently have is a co-response this is like embedded police social work. And this is just something that the police chief and someone on the city council decided was a good idea, right? And this is like extremely popular with, with police departments because it keeps those calls and it keeps those funding streams within the police. So it's actually an expansion of policing to be responding to behavioral and mental health calls with the police. That's an expansion of policing. We're spending more money on policing and more people are interacting with the police because of that. So we have that now and, and it's like being partially funded by a grant from uh, the state and CSO is providing the clinicians. But this is the crazy thing. Again, this is like, this is a program that the police wanted. What's crazy about that is that our police department is very you know, proudly proclaims that they were all trained in CIT, crisis intervention teams training. And so this is supposedly why they're qualified to respond to these kinds of calls. Never have we heard the police chief admit that actually CIT themselves say that this is not the way you do this. CIT has, you know, gone on the stump across the country saying these calls uh, should only be responded to by police in 
dangerous situations and, and almost all of these calls are not dangerous and they should be responded to by civilian non-armed crisis responders like cahoots. So yeah, this is the problem when you have a top-down kind of answer to a policy problem is that it's just going to serve those who are already in power. The police chief wants to keep those calls, wants to keep that funding stream, wants to keep control over yeah, city services. And so that's what we get instead of something that would actually help people who are in crisis. And I think it's it's based on some pretty old paradigms about, about you know, what is the role of police, et cetera, but also what is it that makes a community safe and who feels safe and who doesn't? And that's a conversation that has to happen across the community. I mean, I think about it in relation to schools, the idea of a police in the schools, the resource officer, which tends to make many of the students feel much less safe. And the fact that there isn't more support in terms of mental health and counselors and, and social workers and people who actually know how to relate to the children and young teens in schools, it's an old paradigm. It's asking the wrong question at this point. What makes a community safe? What makes a community healthy? What makes the community who we want to be? If you go department by department, each department will basically say more of what we do. Um, mm -hmm. But what we really need is to have all of us talking together and saying, how can we as a community create the community we want to have? And that means talking to people who are rarely consulted, people who tend to be on the fringes. Of course, Greenfield as a county seat has a lot of people who come to town because we've got mental health and other health-related services here, but are they included in that conversation? Not so often. So part of what the, the, the whole platform idea is, is to stimulate a conversation among all of us to say, who do we want to be and how do we get there? And whose voices do we need to make sure we are able to hear? That's not, a, that's not an easy task when the people who are controlling the conversations have little interest in having those conversations. That seems like one of the main calls of this progressive blueprint is establish avenues for more people to participate in their own government. But what, will the, what could those look like? Or is this more public hearings? Are we going to make city council meetings last seven hours instead of six? What would more participatory governance look like? I think I'll toss that question to um, you, David. Yeah, I, I think there are plenty of things that could be done. You know, a simple thing in FCCPR pros this back before the last mayoral election is that before the budget debate starts in the city council, that every city councilor should hold meetings for their district and discuss with people what do you what do you think the town should be spending money on? What are the needs uh, in our precinct? The the things that need to be done. What are your concerns overall? not too hard to schedule and hold meetings like that you know in public places and, and that would change the i think the tenor a lot rather than you know the mayor in secret prepares a budget and then it's given to the city council and they're trying to debate and figure out what's going on and by then none of them have any time to call any meetings because then they're in the heat of the struggle so to say right then but simple things like that could be done. You know, you look at in New England, there are many cities and towns that still use town meetings and quite effectively pass budgets and manage to run the town with lots of volunteers and lots of the citizens putting in their time. And with more people participating in the government, we could hopefully tackle questions about livability, affordability, and quality of life for everyone. 
which is what we're trying to address when we're talking here about the progressive blueprint for Greenfield. So I want to ask you guys about what this document is. What do we hope to accomplish with this progressive blueprint for Greenfield? If you could tell us about that, please, Doug. What the um, platform is, is pulling together a focus on a number of different issues that we've sort of divided up, but they're absolutely interconnected that go into making the city what it is and we hope what it could be. So we talk about education, we talk about community safety and social justice, we talk about the economy, jobs and affordability. Um, we focused on the environment, on housing, on health and health care, on taxes and who's, who's taxed and how are they taxed, on arts and culture, um, on GSET, the, the things that make the town what it is and what we try to present in the platform are some real starters to conversation to say, here's what we, the people who put this platform together, here's what we value, here's what we think would be good steps we can take, what do you think? And then the idea is to go to as many of the entire population of Greenfield as possible through emails, through canvassing, et cetera, and say, what do you think? And how can we, how can we, how can we work on this? We have some ideas, but we certainly want to encourage conversation from a wide range of people to talk together about how we can move things forward. We're going to need a lot of volunteers <laughs> to do that. And so I, I will just say for folks in the audience, uh, please do uh, get in touch with us uh, if you're interested, if you like what this is all about, if you want to be involved in shaping what comes, uh, blueprintforgreenfield.com is probably the easiest way to reach us. So this, this platform has a long-term vision, right? And we're not going to be able to accomplish everything all at once, right? There are certain things that we can offer this election season and those are number one we want to get out into the community and we want to canvas we want to talk to people face to face and just like get discussions going and part of that also is that we're going to write a questionnaire for candidates because every election season it's very hard to find out where candidates actually stand on issues or to even understand if they understand the issues or if they're aware of what's going on so we're going to write a questionnaire based on the platform based on the issues we bring up we're going to share it with the candidates uh, and invite them to answer and we're going to share everybody's answers we're going to publicize them so that folks can can look and see who do i align with who do i want to vote for more than just the i don't know 250 words that that you usually get um, from their interviews with the recorder mm -hmm. we really need to know a lot more about where candidates stand before we trust them with our government for a few years and I want to pose a question to David. Um, as someone with experience serving on the Greenfield City Council, what are some of the questions that you would like to ask um, candidates for the, both the mayor and the council? I mean, obviously, it'll be some of the questions we'll be asking folks. So what do you think of the platform? What do you think of some of the ideas? Uh, let me just throw one out. Like, Greenfield has a city-owned broadband utility, GSET, which is very good. It's been around now six, seven years, I think. But one of the problems is it doesn't serve all of Greenfield, especially the rural parts of Greenfield. And the, the excuse becomes, oh, it's too expensive to, you know, put up the broadband out there. Um, but the point of having a city-owned broadband utility is that it would serve everyone at a, a, at a low cost. So it's things like that we want to ask candidates. So what do you think about this? And what can you see as a city council? What would you do in order to increase GSET so that everyone in Greenfield can benefit from it? 
And so I, I think we can get into some of those specifics. And we know there are counselors who are interested in many of these issues, but it'll stop the discussion because we don't have a step-by-step -step complete blueprint of how to make these changes. And people who are running for office may have their pet issues and may be totally ignorant of other ones. And so it's also an opportunity to help educate those who are running about the complexities that they're facing. Because many people who run for office have a particular thing that has motivated them to run, and that's what they care about, which is great. But there are a lot of other things that need doing. And if you only go for one thing at the expense of everything else, you end up in the kind of silos that, that we've found ourselves stuck in. So it's an opportunity to really sort of make the complexities a little more visible and to think about how can we, how can we look holistically at this so that we're thinking together about what's good for the whole town. And we're going to be really active on the streets this coming election season, both spreading the word about the platform and after we have conversations with candidates, supporting those candidates who we align with helping shape where Greenfield moves in the in the coming years. So you can be part of that. And as we record this episode, we are only five months from the election. So we are in election season. <laughs> I don't know if we're ever not in election season these days. <laughs> uh, this is John. You know, I think because budgets are tight, because money is so limited, that makes it even more important that city spending be aligned with residents' values, right? Because every little bit of waste every $28,000 that we spend on an infomercial with Dennis Quaid just saying <laughs> is $28,000 that's not going to pay someone who works and provides special ed to our to our children you know like Jesus this is Dave and I would add yeah it's a matter of priorities so there's just an article in the Greenfield recorder that one of the local businesses that did expand but an auto dealership so they were selling more cars, but they, they got from the city, I think five years of tax breaks. So they paid half their taxes that were due on property taxes. Now that place wasn't going anywhere. They've been in Greenfield for 80 years now because it's a county seat and they have a good location. Why do we have to give them tax breaks? Imagine if a group of homeowners got together and we said, listen, either you cut my taxes in half or I'm going to move out of Greenfield. You know, <laughs> would be laughed at, right? But when a business does it, everyone says, oh, yeah, well, that's legitimate. We want them to stay, so we should, they don't have to pay any taxes. So I think it, it, these things all come to a matter of priorities. So to the mayor, I would say, you have to make some choices. You have to make some plans about what will benefit the city in the long run. Which, again, comes back to people talking together what do we want here not to what what do i want for my department but what do we want as a city and how do we work together to get it how much duplicate service do we have how many how many things do we have competing in ways that make no sense yeah and if you are a listener and these issues are resonating with you i we would encourage you to go to progressive blueprint for greenfield you can find them online and there are many ways to get involved in this discussion about the priorities of a city that is growing and changing and approaching a consequential election in the coming months. Blueprintforgreenfield.com to learn more about some of these issues. 
So thank you for listening. You have been listening to Panorama, where we have been speaking with Doug Selwyn and Dave Cohen from Franklin County, continuing the political revolution, and John McGee from the People's Budget. We've been talking about a progressive blueprint for Greenfield. This is a document these organizations drafted together to give us a framework for the way the city is going to move into the future and make decisions and make for a more equitable, livable, and pleasant place to be. Thanks for listening. I'm Sarah Robertson. I'm here with my co-host Dan Torres. This is Panorama. You can catch us on WHMP 101.5, Saturday mornings, 7 a.m. Thank you.